So there are some events in life that kind of force you to stop and think about how you're living. Yeah, you don't have to come up yet. Well, you can get comfortable, take a nap. It'll be okay. Um, so, you know, probably one of the biggest is the death of somebody in your family and, um, and then New Year's. You know, those like, kind of like those two things cause you to be like really reevaluate your life a little bit. Um, and so New Year's, we usually like to talk about, hey, what are you going to do with your life this year? Let's think about it. But um, Heidi's grandfather passed away this last uh, December, and we buried him uh, just this last week. So we were off to the west side to, to bury her grandfather. And we had an experience there where I've never, I've buried a number of people as a pastor, um, but I've never had this experience where they actually had the casket sitting over the grave with uh, some straps on it. And kind of at, at my signal, they came in and they actually let those straps kind of free and it slowly lowers this casket into the ground. And I mean, it was like, as it was going down, it was like the air was being sucked out of, well, we were outside Washington, I guess. So I'm outside, it was just like, and then there was just like this soft thump at the bottom. And it was just this moment of finality where you just realize that, wow, for, for grandpa, there's no more chances. There's no more opportunities. There's no more what, you know, like, what might you do this year? There's no more New Year's resolutions. It's, it's done. And thankfully, he had given his life to Jesus, and he's now living in a kind of life that he doesn't have to make resolutions. Um, maybe his only resolution is to get to know God more, and it's going to be awesome for him. But we now, you know, who, who live, funerals are for us, and they're for these moments for us to remember that, you know what, we've been given generously by God, every single one of us, the same amount of, of daylight, right? We're, we're given 24 hours in a day, and we're given seven days a week equally, whether we're rich or we're poor, whether we have a job or we're unemployed, it doesn't matter. We all get the same amount of time in a day. But what we don't know is how many of those days we get. We don't know how long we have to make decisions and to live the sort of life that, that God dreams of, and, and honestly, the kind of life we dream of. I am very prone to having great big dreams and then struggling to live them out. Yeah, and that's partly just my maybe genetic makeup or personality where I love big dreams, but eventually it's making those steps to make those dreams come to life in my own life where I struggle. And there's just decisions, it seems like. A hundred thousand decisions for every sort of, you know, make it, make it a goal. Every goal that we have, every dream that we have for our life, there's all these decisions it takes to get there. And I lose it somewhere around eight or ten of those steps in because I get bored. Like That dream's not big enough. I know many of us are kind of in that same boat where we think, like we say, you know what, when I'm old, I want to be like him or her. We hear the stories about the 94-year-old. Did you guys hear about this? The 94-year-old who uh, rode in a, like a, I don't remember how long, a super long bike race and then was disqualified for doping? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to let you get your, get to your goals, right? But 94 years old and the man is still riding a bicycle for any distance. It's amazing. Even if he did eat steak the night before that had drugs in it. And we just, we have these ideals of what we think retirement will be like what we think, um, you know, graduating college and having a job will be like. And sometimes those ideals aren't met because life is hard, but sometimes we just fail to make the decisions we need to make in the moment to get us there, to live our best life, the life that we really want to live. And so here it is, the first Sunday of the new year, and we wanted to invite you to kind of consider that 
for a minute. Like, what do you want this year to really look like? I mean, what do you want from life this year? And I'm not saying, hey, make these huge goals, but what steps do you need to start to take to be the kind of person you want to be when your casket is lowered into the ground, when the New Year's crosses again? We have a couple of people that are from our church that um, Heidi and I have known for quite a few years now. They've been here as long as Heidi and I have been in this church, so right around nine years. And we have watched them uh, exemplify this, this march toward their best selves. They've made decisions that seem crazy to some of us um, to become who they feel like God has intended them to be. And so we wanted to interview them this morning. And so with that, I want to invite Will and Brianna and my lovely wife, Heidi, to come up, who has all kinds of great questions. And we're going to just kind of interview them. Battery died. Okay. It wasn't your battery. Two double A's, please. He says this will help with his story. Mm. Way to go, sound guy. <laughs> now, this whole thing is falling apart, like all the clips, everything. It's like, what, what do we use this for? So anyway, we wanted to, to talk with Will and Brianna and just kind of hear about how life has turned out so far and where you've gone and where you're going. And we have a list of questions. And at the end, we're going to do some Oprah Winfrey style rapid fire questions. If you've ever heard Oprah Winfrey interview somebody on Super Soul Sunday, they just like, they're like, so describe peace in two words. And, you know, Brianna was like, don't ask me that question because I'll just freak out. So uh, anyway, so would you start by just taking a moment to, because there are people here that don't know you like we do. Um, let us know who you are um, and all that good stuff. Okay. Uh, well, we're Will and Brianna Morrison. Um, we, I grew up in this area. Um, Brianna grew up in McCall, Idaho. We were working at uh, WSU and SEL, respectively, before we left, and uh, we felt God was kind of calling us to to break out of the norm and, and do something else, and kind of made us uncomfortably want to do something um, for him. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, so we were, we were both working in the area, um, and we had... Um, so good, some good jobs, and we really enjoyed being here and uh, being part of this body. Um, so uh, just to kind of give a brief idea, because you're seeing pictures in the background, and like if you don't know us, then they probably seem strange. So for the past two years, we've been working with an organization called Mercy Ships, uh, which has the largest um, non-governmental hospital ship in the world. And uh, as... A ship, we provide free surgeries to people who would otherwise be unable to get those surgeries to uh, fix really uh, complicated, terrible sorts of problems that they have uh, because of lack of surgery. Um, so we've been there for two years. Neither of us are medically trained, so we've been um, do, doing support roles. Uh, I have been teaching the staff 
and Will has been working with the computers and systems on the ship. So can you tell us about what was going on in your lives and hearts that led you to go on the mission field and what circumstances led you to finally make the leap? Uh, so I, um, we, we were here and our lives were fairly comfortable, um, but I, I don't know if you can just imagine somebody sitting in a lazy boy recliner and they're all comfortable, and then somebody pops up the back of it and pops it up a little further and a little bit further. That's kind of how we were feeling. Like, God's, God's moving us, but we didn't know where we were going. And he eventually dumps you out of the chair. Right? Yes. <laughs> and so we were sensing <laughs> that something was going to dump us soon. We were, we were going to get dumped. And, uh, and so we just uh, we went on a kind of a prayer retreat and prayed about what was next and both felt like, we were being led towards Mercy Ships, and when we went on the website, uh, we opened it, and we found that they had two urgent needs for crew that both fit our skills and experiences, and that was kind of a, an answer right there of, this is, this is what God has for us. I'd ask a question, but I don't know what the question is. <laughs> I got them all. You got them all. So can you tell us, what was it like to live on the ship? Yeah, so I'll start and maybe I'll hand it over to Will. So uh, I don't know how many of you have been on ships before. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to explain this particular ship because it had been a transformed ferry ship made into a hospital, and then there's cruise spaces, and those cruise spaces um, were very small. Very tight. Very tight. We were actually in one of the bigger spaces, um, and it it was uh, definitely smaller than a studio apartment. It's kind of hard to get a size here. Maybe the size of of one of these chair sections right here, just this front one. Um, so it was our living space, but uh, we were not there very often because we were out with the ship's crew. And uh, if you can imagine. Uh, if you, this body of believers here, if you were living with everybody here, working with all the people here, going to church, recreating, getting coffee, every, doing your laundry, uh, experiencing fire drills, sometimes 6 a.m. in the morning, uh, and you were doing all of that together in a very tight space, uh, you kind of get an idea of what the ship living on the ship was like. Uh, there's people from usually over 30, 30 to 40 countries, so so many different cultures and ways of doing things uh, and uh, different languages and, and all of that as well. Uh, and if you can imagine that there's great opportunity for community in that space of living and growing and changing and encouraging and also irritating and all of those things to each other um, and it was kind of up to the crew whether it was just going to be um, a bunch of <clears throat> hundreds of annoying roommates or uh, if we're going to open up our hearts and let each let ourselves be transformed and understanding people and, and growing. So. Yeah I think you said it but yeah pretty much just 
like a rock tumbler or something where we're all thrown in together and there's high pressure and there's maybe some jet stream water or whatever and it tumbles all around and then at the end what comes out are these beautiful crystal, you know, uh, whatever, nice rocks. We probably could use out. some more tumbling ourselves to get that yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, the whole iron sharpening iron I think is, is a really good uh, a picture as well of just being close together with really super cool people from all over the world, that was the high point. And then being together with all those people <laughs> and fighting over laundry spaces or whatever it was, you know, there was plenty of things on the ship that was like, oh, that happened again. Oh, dear. <laughs> so so you're saying missionaries are people too. As it turns out, yeah. <laughs> and I think also to kind of give you a feel for that, so every morning uh, you have a new group of people showing up on the dock space to get surgeries and... Uh, oh yeah, here's me doing my laundry and our very, it's a, you can see it's not very big and that's to serve, uh, the 300 to 400 people. Um, so yeah, that's a tight one. Um, I was going to say those every morning, a new group of people, uh, from whatever country we're in, Guinea or Cameroon or Benin, showing up on the dock with uh, massive tumors or legs uh, that are going backwards or um, just these uh, with themselves all covered up because they're embarrassed about something about who they are. Um, and you can see looks of nervousness and, and fear on their face, but also looks of hope and excitement about what's going to be next and what this is going to mean. Um, so that's an element, too, of what we experience on a daily basis. So I don't want to set this up too bigly. Big, bigly? Is that even a word? Too? Of course it is. I don't, I, I don't want to set the expectation too far, but um, Heidi and I grew up in churches that brought missionaries frequently, and our favorite thing was, as kids, was hearing missionary stories. And our kids, wanted, when they heard that you guys were going to be here, wanted to come and hear missionary stories. So I'm wondering if you guys have any missionary stories to share with us. Did I set that up too much? That was a little bit big, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was trying to think. There's a bunch of stuff that we could tell, and, and we don't have enough time. Uh, there was so many things that happened. But I was thinking of one really short one and then one a, a little bit longer story. And <clears throat> the first one is when you get in, you know, you're kind of excited about going to a new country and meeting all these people, and I'm going to help, and I'm going to do this good work. And you don't really think so much about, like, the sludge. And so my first story is the sludge, which was we signed up to be on the dive team. And the dive team, I actually didn't get any pictures in of the dive team, but there were scuba divers who went below the ship in the port water and cleaned off the intakes of the, of the water intakes. And what those do is the water comes into the ship and cools the ship for our air conditioning and also that's the coolant for the main engine, so all the power on the ship. So if, if those get clogged up, the power goes down, air conditioning goes down, everyone uh, sweats to death. And there's no lights, <laughs> and, and they no can't lights. run they surgical can't equipment. Run the, the hospital. So, so we're like, okay, yes, this is a great thing to do. We're jazzed about it. We're excited. And, like, my first time... You know, we did the training for the scuba diving, and scuba dive is kind of exciting anyways. So you've got all the gear on, the really big, heavy tank. you got the mask and everything. And I was trying to remember, there's all these things like acronyms to remember. Okay, first do this, then do this, and let your air out and all these things. And I jumped in the water, and I was cool. Everything was good. And the water was like kind of smelly weird. And I said, 
what is this? Why does the water smell weird? And they said, oh, that's just the sewage that runs down out of the city <laughs> when it rains. The sewage runs into the port. And then I saw, like, some oil slick, and I said, what is that? And they said, oh, it's oil from the, sh- the next ship down is letting their oil out. They don't allow that in uh, European countries, but they, here in Africa it just happens. So we were swimming through this, like, garbage... It, it looked a lot like the trash compactor from Star Wars, actually. Mm. Like everything and, and the monsters in there as well. We were kind of like, what's in here? I feel something moving. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I, I was trying to remember everything. You start to go down. You say, okay. You, you, you motion to your buddy. We're going down. And then I was trying to remember all the things, and I found... After five or six seconds, I was going down, going down, and the light went away, and I had forgotten to turn on my flashlight because the water was so murky, you couldn't even see this far in front of you without a really super bright light. And even then, it was just that, that far in front of you. <laughs> and so there was a rope that you hold, held on to for dear life because if you let, let the rope go, the, the tide would carry you down, and you would end up either in the, where the sewage was coming out, which you didn't want to go, or the other side where the, the Cameroonian military was all like super militant and they would pull you out at gunpoint. So anyways, long story short, <laughs> I, I was like, okay, my light, my light, my light. And after a couple of moments, I found my light on my wrist. It was strapped to my wrist. Found the button, turned it on. The light was there. Everything was fine. There was the rope. I was still okay. And I continued this, this story. So that's, the, that's basically the end of the story, but it was just like one of those times when you think to yourself in the dark as like bits of floating sludge float by your head. And you're thinking, why did I sign up for this again? <laughs> what am I doing? Like, it's black and I could die at any moment. And this stuff that could go into my mask might ingest it and die as well. And <clears throat> it was just... Like one of those times where you're like, what, God, I hope you have a plan for this because I seem to have gotten myself in literally over my head. So um, the second story, I just maybe I'll try to go quicker, is uh, just to do with um, kind of rely on God and seeing not only God work in mysterious ways and wonderful ways, but also everyone working together as a team um, we mentioned before that we're just the support uh, for the ship, and so about half of the 300 crew was hospital people. We had nurses, surgeons, doctors, hospital, and pharmacy, and then the other half is like the deck guys who are keeping the ship running, who know how to run a ship. My department of computers, Brianna's department of training, stuff like that. So there's lots of support and inventory that goes into keeping the ship running, and can we can we go another day? Can we feed everyone? Can we, you know, clean up after everyone? And can we keep it going? So I feel like that is also a really good metaphor for the church because we're all parts of the body. We all do different things, but we're all super important. So one of the stories is that we uh, were sailing into Guinea for the for the first time. We were we were all excited. We were going to go to this new country, and usually the ship will just sail like twice a year, and once goes into the country, it stays there for 10 months, and then we go to shipyard to fix the fix the ship up. So we're sailing in, and before the previous uh, field service, we had 
gotten there and everything had been like boom, boom, boom. We had the tent set up ahead of time on the dock, which is a lot of the first steps of getting patients in and checked out before they can do the surgeries. And so we get to Guinea. It's like pouring rain sideways, crazy pouring rain. And we pull up and there's just one out of the four tents is on the dock. And we're like, one? I thought there was supposed to be four. Like, God, what's going on here? And we talked to the guys, and we and they said, well, the other three tents got packed in a container, a shipping container, and we shipped it off from the last dock, and it hasn't come yet. It's like stuck in some random port somewhere on some random container ship. And I'm like, oh, so I guess we're not going to start the surgeries right away because that's one of the things. But it turned out that we were able to get the screening team set up into that one tent, and then the other teams could have like a rolling start. And um, and then so after a month or two, we got the other tents finally set them up. And then we had this crazy windstorm and rainstorm. And Brianna and I were even watching out our little window. We had a little porthole window in our cabin at nighttime. And we say, oh, cool, look at the cool lightning on the water. I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. And and it was real blowing hard enough that the ship we could feel in our beds. We kind of rocked to sleep that night. Like, and it turns out the next morning, the guys who were on watch, the uh, we have security guys that kind of go on and watch the ship, said that at 3 in the morning, 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, the whole entire tent had like been picked up by the wind and slammed around, and then part of it was totally collapsed in the middle. And, of course, my first thought is, I'm, I'm the computer guy, like, oh, my computers are all wet. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's, what's going to happen to our gear in there? So we run down there first thing in the morning, and it was all wet everywhere, and we unplugged everything. And at that point in time, we were thinking, like, yet again, not only the first thing with the tents not being there, but then the second round of, oh, the tents collapsing, and... All this, and again, this is like one of the very crucial uh, pre steps for getting people into surgery. And if you kind of mess up one of the one of the prerequisites, then you stop the whole entire kind of uh, lack the line of things that need to happen, and then the surgeries have to stop. So you've got all these people sitting around like, "I'm a surgeon, but I'm not doing anything today." So. I guess the what I was getting at was the cool thing about it was both with the setting up of the new tents as they came in and also with this collapse of the tent in the rain, um, people just came out like of the woodwork. There was deck guys, there were security guys that just came at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, helped, like kind of put it back together as much as they could. And then the next day, people just were lending hands to move everything out of that tent and into another one. Um, there was hospital guys that were supposed to be doing some other job, but they lend a hand to help us, and then we were moving stuff. And uh, I think, yeah, all sorts of people from all over, galley, the dining room people, everyone was helping out. And it just felt like so, even though it was a really bad thing at the time, and we were kind of like, what do we do? What are we going to do? It just highlighted to me like everyone came together and and did something amazing got it done we got the the whole tent taken apart and the end of the story we finally ordered a new tent so our supply guys and inventory guys 
got one ordered, but it was several months before it, it came back. And, and then my department had to then ringwire everything and set up the computers and the network again. So, But the cool thing was, it was like, even though uh, it wasn't anybody's job, nobody's job description was, you know, set up tent in middle of night. Like that wasn't on anybody's thing anyway. Because who wants that? Nobody <laughs> wants to do that job. But people jumped in, um, got it done, and, and there was that was just a reoccurring theme that happened over and over and over again. People said, hey, I see something that needs doing. Let's let's figure this out. Um, and and it was just cool to see everybody come together in different roles and, and help out. And I think that story also illustrates another thing that kept coming up over and over again, which is we would make plans, and people make plans, um, but it's God that it makes things happen and God that brings it together and makes it makes it work in a way that brings him glory. And that was a way uh, kind of God showing that, you know, we had this, so it's a, like they post it on the ship of step-by-step plan. You do this, you do this, you do this and not having those tents and having that one tent that we did have collapse totally blew all of our plans out of the water but God still had a plan. He still knew what he was doing. And um, it actually ended up being a place, a time for us to come together as a, as a team. So it was good. She says no. Is there anything that surprised you about being a missionary? I think I'll start this one. So... Uh, I think when we took off to be missionaries, we had this idea of the sort of challenges we would face. Um, We had this idea, okay, we're going to be trying strange foods, and we did, in fact, try strange foods, and we're going to maybe not have clean bathrooms. That definitely happened. Um, There's going to be times where, you know, things aren't going to be nice around us. Uh, and that we're going to be um, also learning about new cultures. And all of that did happen, and it had its own challenge. But I think the thing that really surprised me was that um, that, wasn't, that wasn't the biggest challenge, not by far. Uh, and I think the hardest and the, the, the biggest challenge um, for me in particular was, was giving up my rights to my own agenda and my own... Uh, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to go about to to give it up in uh, love and caring for the people around us, uh, and that that showed up in a lot of different ways. Um, uh, literally, we didn't have chance to choose what kind of food we're eating a lot. Um, you know, the our living space and all of those things, um, and also there were security concerns a lot. So then oh, I can't just get up and go out when I want to go out. Uh, and all of those things, it's uh, kind of laying those things down and saying, God, I'm going to give this up knowing that what you have is so much better for for me. And I think that's really, like, it's the same thing that we do here. Uh, it, you know, going over there, it was kind of more in my face that that's what we needed to do. Um, but really, that's what makes a difference here um, in Pullman life also of laying down your rights in order to serve and love the people around you. Um, yeah, so I think that's something that really surprised me. So, you have anything to 
I just lost it. I think it'll come back later. Keep going. Yeah. What is one way that you've grown spiritually because you chose to say yes to God and go? Yeah, I think, well, this actually also answers both of your last questions. Um, it was a challenge for me also to be okay with something not being 100% perfect, like kind of having to settle sometimes for something, just like the tents where it wasn't all set up for us to, to begin, and just like the the rainstorm that comes and knocks down what we have set up, and we have to sort of start over again. Um, a lot, a lot of things that we wanted to do, we kind of mostly ended up doing, but uh, not always to what we're, what our plan was. Um, and so I think through that, God was showing me, you know, I have a plan. And maybe it doesn't look like your plan, but it's going to be okay, and you can just go with me and rely on me. And if you trust me, then we'll get through this together. So relying on God's plan and not on our own plans, I think, was something I took away. Yeah, I think uh, there was certainly a lot of growth uh, in the spirits of things like patience and um, loving and kindness for others where I had been able to escape into my own house and own room and get away from God challenging me in those areas in the past and... Uh, it, it, there was just no getting away. Um, I think I talked to Heidi at some point and said, Heidi, I'm just tired of, of God working on me. <laughs> I just want a break. Um, but it's good. And it, it's so many ways of grown and changed uh, in, in trusting him. And I think one thing that I've been, he's been showing me lately and reflecting back of what I've learned is um, thinking about the story of the loaves and the fishes and uh, the, I think most of you know the story of uh, they, Jesus is, is teaching to the multitudes, and it's getting late, and he says to his disciples, um, basically, feed them. And they go, how are we going to feed them? And then somebody pipes up and says, well, we do, I'm going to always get this wrong, five loaves, two fishes. I think that's the, not the other way around, one of the two. Um, this, here's what we have. And then Jesus multiplies that to feed all of them. And then a couple chapters later, you see what seems to us to be the almost identical situation. And again, the disciples are like, what are we going to do? We don't have a plan. And I I think it just strikes me of uh, we look at our situations and think, oh, no, what are we going to do? There's no way we can do this. And and then, like me, I'm a planner, so I'm like, okay, well, Maybe what we can do is we can do this and this and this, and maybe it'll work out. Um, and really, God's just saying, give me those five loaves and two fishes. Give me what you have right now, and I'm going to multiply it. And then we get to the next situation. We're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because we've forgotten, and we, we think it's a totally different situation, but really it's the same situation. It's the same thing. You, you show up with your five loaves and your two fishes, and it's not adequate. It's totally inadequate. Even like in the areas where I feel like I'm the most adequate, it still is inadequate because he has so much more and bigger and greater than what we can imagine. And if we just try to use just that and 
don't give over what we've got to him to multiply, then it's not as great. It's not as wonderful, but he can multiply. Yeah. I want to say amen to that. (laughs) She's preaching to me again. Dang it. So when we were together the other night, they came over to our house and uh, had dinner, and we were just talking, and they were just sharing stories and things like that. They shared a story about some people they got to encounter um, on the continent there, and uh, we're going to be vague about this, but the bottom line is they came from a first world country into a probably third world country or somewhere near there, and decided that God was calling them as a family, so a husband and wife and I don't know how many kids, five kids, um, to live amongst the people in this third world country as the people, not living as a first world person in a third world country. Does that make sense? So where they lived in huts, these people lived in huts too. Uh, they decided not to have health care. So maybe you would tell us a little bit about that story. Tell us about that. And um, I don't know where this is going to go, but we're going to yeah. make it up as we go. <laughs> So I, I, we were telling them about it because we were talking about, you know, we, there were a lot of things that we gave up in, in going. But then, you know, we went and uh, visited with this family and we're like, well, we didn't really give up anything at all. And it, it just, comparatively, and it just made us um, really think about what is it that God's called us to do? Um, and kind of going back to that idea of um, laying down your rights and what what you have available to you. And uh, so this family, just to give a little bit more background, they, they, were, um, they really had a heart to reach out to a group of people that uh, has no known churches. And uh, it, actually, yeah, probably less than 10 known believers um, in the world. So it's a group of people that really, like, they don't have an idea of what it means to walk with the Lord, um, to know him, to know his love, and to know his grace and forgiveness as well. And um, they really had a heart for him, but God has a specific role for this group of people in his body, specific thing for them to play. Um, But uh, they don't have any idea of what it means to be a Christian. All they have is that uh, movies that they think portrays what it means to be a Christian because they think all Americans are Christians and therefore all movies that come from America are portray Christians. And so you can imagine their image of what it means to be a Christian is very far off. And so um, the, these people had gone and uh, with their whole family and had decided we are going to live like them to show them that it doesn't that God will, that God can meet them where they they are, and this is what it really means to walk as a believer in your context and and where you are. Um, and we we kind of <laughs> some of the choices we're making, like really, God is that what you have them? And, and uh, to be honest, Will and I are still like we're not sure if that's uh, really. It, it was really challenging. They were living literally in a shed, what I would or a tent. More like a shed because it was metal, corrugated metal on sandy dirt floor, like no running water, no electricity, and in uh, in a neighborhood of all corrugated like shacks, and uh, their source of 
food was going to be from the local market, so they were buying like the goat meat and things straight from the market, which are real not uh, very food-safe markets, let me just say, especially when it comes to meat left out all day in the market hanging up. And just like from everything you can think of, they were living like the people there um, in a very, very simple, very, very... um, Like the people have lived a thousand years ago. I mean, it was just straight back to... So there's donkey carts, there's... No. goats and chickens and there's then that's it like and so dirt. i think in, in thinking about what what they're doing and um how they're going about it i i was reminded of the verse uh paul's talking about uh, reaching out to the people around him and he says um to the weak i've become weak um i become all things to all people and i i think you know, God calls us each to do that in different ways. And for some of us, uh, it, it may mean that sort of thing. But for others, maybe it's just uh, understanding the people around us and saying, you know, is this thing that I'm holding on to as my right and I, I have earned this or whatever it might be, is this thing getting in the way of me loving this, these people? Is it getting in the way of them hearing the message of God's love for them in their life? And uh, it was it was really convicting and, and challenging, and it's still making us think now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we were, Will and I were talking about it a little bit this morning, um, I was just remembering, like Heidi and I talked about it for quite a bit after you guys left, and kind of we came up with, if somebody in our church came to us and said, I heard God's audible voice say, move to, I'll just use Haiti, and live like the Haitians in the backwoods someplace uh, in a shack with with your five kids. Don't have any insurance. Don't have any you know, U.S. medical care. Don't have any retirement. Just sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and go and live like a Haitian. I think that our pastoral advice would be that maybe you need to go see a psychologist <laughs> because you're hearing voices. Because God gave his one and only son on a cross so that we don't have to sacrifice our children for his kingdom. Um, but then we kind of said, but if God came to me and with an audible voice and said to me that somebody like Sarah was to go and do that, I'd probably actually argue with God. I'd be like, no, you're crazy. And yet if God says it, and God's like, we're bound to do it. And God provides. And God provides. He, he, he can do it. There's nothing impossible for him. Thankfully, God's probably not call, calling most of us into something like that, um, but he does call us into things that are uncomfortable, and so I think the story really, at least for me, brought to the forefront that, that question of what am I willing to obey? Um, how am I willing to follow? What am I willing to do this year? If I really want to live my life for God, if I really want to have the sort of relationship that, that transforms people around me, it's really about that obedience and saying yes sometimes. So uh, one of the things that would happen, I think, when you were a kid, I, don't, I, I think I've heard you say this, I know that it's happened in my church, is when the missionaries would come, the pastor would often say to the church, God is calling somebody here into the mission field. And most people would sit and squirm uncomfortably because they're like, oh, I'm not ever going or I'm not called. But there would always be one person somewhere at some time. And I kind of think that that's something that God's saying in this moment, that there, somebody here is called as a missionary to go. And uh, maybe this is your year to think about that.
And the rest of us are missionaries in everyday life. So is that what you were going to say? That's exactly what I was going to say. It's, it's actually he's calling everybody to the mission field. It's just for some, it may be uh, far away in Guinea or Cameroon or Benin or wherever God may lead. And some, it may be tomorrow what in your workplace. Um, he calls us each to do that. Mm-hmm. We've got one more question we wanted to ask you, and then I was going to let Heidi just do the rapid fire Let's see what we'll see what we get out of you and how fun it is. Uh, what are you guys going to do next? So you're you're now off the mercy ship. So what are you doing next? And how can we as a church continue to pray for you? I got it. So um, we we're both offered jobs with the mercy ship's base um, down in in Tyler, Texas. He's working on his accent. I'm already. working on my accent, y'all. y'all. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna head down there. Um, we've accepted the positions and we're excited about it. Um, we were volunteers on board for two years, and now these will be paid positions. So that's something different. Uh, and um, you know, we still really believe in what they're doing and and bringing uh, what, what's the tagline? Bringing hope bringing and healing to the world's forgotten, the world's poor, forgotten following poor, Jesus model. Following Jesus model. So trying, they were doing, trying to do what Jesus was doing by help, healing people, and, and we still believe in that. So we're going to do that, and by, by the end of the month, we'll be doing our first little move down there and staying in an apartment there, and then at some point, we'll come back and move move house. So I don't mean to out you guys, but I know we've been a part of you making this decision. Um, this decision wasn't easy because it's in Tyler, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it was something that, uh, you know, are we going to say yes or, or no to, to what God's moving us into next? And <laughs> it's strange to say that maybe it was a little bit easier for us to say yes to going to Africa than it is to saying yes to going to Texas because <laughs> um, I just don't know what we're getting into. And it, it's a you know the different culture and and um, also you know to be honest the the role that I'm going to be taking will have a lot of challenges, um, and so I think that's why God's really been speaking to me about that five loaves and two fishes thing that I might not have enough but He has enough. Um, and um, just to give a brief, in my role, I'm going to be heading up the training and development for the organization and, and kind of reforming it as the organization gets larger to uh, make sure that they stay focused on the, the mission and uh, loving God and loving and serving others. Um, and so that's the, the heart of of why God's blessed them. And, and so I'll be, be doing that. And there's a lot to that, and uh, we'll be doing a, a, a role actually quite similar to what he was doing on the ship, but at a distance. So. Yeah, so we're both excited, and, and also um, Will talked about the diving for the first time, and, and I think especially when it was low tide and our jump into the water was about 20 feet um, into the the very muddy, garbagey water. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I like to have backup plans and what alternative ideas. And but sometimes God just calls us to take a big breath and make the plunge. So, how can we pray for you in that? Tyler, Texas isn't in the middle of nowhere, but you—it's really flat there, so you can see the middle of nowhere from there. Um, how, how can we be praying for you guys as you go there? 
Yeah, I think just praying that we'll find a good church there and family, just like we have here, um, and finding a, a place to live. Uh, we're going to be probably looking for a house, so something like that. Um, both of those are, I think, pretty far up the list. And then, uh, of course, the work situations um, that we'll be able to make good um, relationships with the people that are that we're going to be working with which we know some of them already that we've worked remotely with. Yeah, I would second that. I think um, we really want to find a, a good home church for us to, to be in and um, also that we would remember the things that God's taught us, uh, the things, the areas where we maybe need to change and grow that we wouldn't um, run away from those but would continue to let God shape us. In a real way, we're saying goodbye this morning as well, because um, you're moving. You know, you're not just visiting a ship or on a mission field and coming home, but uh, we're sending you out again, and uh, this Thank time you. slightly more permanently. So I'm going to break into Friends are Friends Forever, okay? <laughs> and a friend's a friend forever. No, kidding. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll just, uh, we will continue to pray for you guys, and um, Heidi is going to batter you with some rapid-fire questions now for fun. We'll we'll share this mic. Okay. I feel closest to God when? Uh, When I'm out in nature, particularly like on a big body of water, like the massive ocean, and see the greatness of God. In music. Mm -hmm. That was really great this morning, by the way. Thank you. My favorite African food is? Uh, in Dole from Cameroon. It was like a gooshy green muck. It looked terrible, but it tasted good. Uh, mine was fried plantains. Mm, yep, good. I feel most at peace when? When I really believe that God is good and loves me. When the internet on the ship is not broken. <laughs> <laughs> the craziest thing I did in Africa was? Uh, it probably driving or the, I went on this ropes course, uh, that didn't really have any safety features and they actually didn't have anybody guiding. They just gave you like a two minute tutorial and then sent you off. And then we discovered that there were live crocodiles underneath the ropes course. <laughs> that makes it much more exciting. Uh, mine was... Two. Uh, one was driving through the Sahara Desert and breaking down. And we were like, now we're stuck in the desert. Now what do we do? The second one was finding out that the van driver, our chauffeur, that had driven us around for two whole weeks, at the very end, he wanted a, them to take him into the Mercy Ship's eye doctors. And they found out he was like 90% blind. <laughs> the guy who had <laughs> driven us around. So, it yeah. explained a lot. <laughs> He actually was amazingly good at driving. <laughs> I would describe PFC as... That's Pullman Foursquare Church, in case you forgot. Home. Oh. Yeah. A great... Uh, I said committee or society. Those are the wrong words. <laughs> yeah, Group of family, yes. <laughs> yes, family. All right. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Do you guys want to ask any questions? We have a couple minutes. If you have a question you want to ask. Well, there's a question. Yeah. Now, those people that have successful surgeries, if you keep track of whether they actually became believers or not. 
So, um, yeah, so the question was about the people that receive surgery and um, do we keep track of them down the road and see um, do they come to know the Lord? Uh, what happens to them afterwards? And um, I would say kind of two things to answer that. And the first is to say that um, the heart of Mercy Ships is really often to open the hearts and give plant seeds often. And so uh, we partner very much with the local church and local believers and um, as well as local organizations to to follow follow up and make sure that uh, that. I guess it would be that the people don't make decisions just so they can get a free surgery because they think that's the only way they can get it. And that's really a big concern and we don't, you know, we don't want that to be fake decisions because that, that isn't setting you up for a good walk with the Lord in any case. So, um, that's, that's something we definitely rely on. But we also do have a, a cycle. The Mercy Ship has a cycle that they, um, go into a country before the ship arrives to see what are the needs, who can we partner with that's reliable. Um, then we're there, and then they have an, uh, a team that comes in after and does assessments and meets with the people that had surgeries to see who and where and what where they are um, at that point. And those are, I think, some of the sweetest stories because uh, everybody's excited right after a surgery. Um, but then to see where they are after that and um, them giving praise to God after the fact that that's uh, means so much more than that immediate sort of thing so so I think does that answer your question <laughs> so so we basically to say um, we we don't want people to feel like you we only are going to love you if you change your faith because um, that's that's not, Jesus met them where they're at and healed them and then they got to see oh this was this was truly free and that's what led them to the Lord and so we do go ahead yeah and just to add to that uh, we do though see people amazingly moved amazingly healed and praising the Lord even if they're Muslim before, or whatever their background was, uh, we've seen that a, a, a number of times. People really pl- praising the Lord. So um, I don't think we have numbers on it. I don't. I know that there is assessment that happens afterwards, especially f- on the medical side of whether or not we did a medically correct. But uh, I don't think we have numbers on conversion rates. Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. So because our jobs weren't directly working with the people, Will and I, we tried to be intentional about that. Um, one thing that I would do is I would go down to the, the hospital wards and just visit with patients there, which was wonderful because like, I, I didn't, you know, you just show up and you don't know anybody and you meet them and just hear about their life and where they were, um, hear about people that have been living with disabilities that kept them out of the community for decades and um, get to see them healed from those and uh, be able to, sh- to share with them 
I'm not the medical person, but here I am to to love on you and show God's love. And you can even do that without words, which was which is really truly amazing. Um, and then we also took opportunities. We were involved with a local church in Benin, and we also you know get out and see the people and culture. Uh, I'll just. I'll just say it because nobody, I don't think anybody's from any of those countries we went to. I think Guinea was our favorite country for that reason because it was easy and the people were so friendly and welcoming to get out and meet people and talk about it and see about their lives. We had two distinct experiences um, being invited to people's homes, which were kind of high points. Um, one of them was my day crew uh, which is a guy who comes in every day and helps us in our department. And he was a great guy and then invited us to go visit his father's house um, in Cameroon. And uh, the second one was there in Guinea. Uh, we had a an Internet um, technician who was helping me run the lines for the cables to the main Internet to the ship. And we were chatting, and my French is not very good, and his English wasn't very good, but we kind of were trying, and he was working with me. And um, so he invited me also to visit them. And, I mean, super, super simple and, um, you know, struggling families, but so generous and so so warm, just inviting you into their home and everything that they have, you know, they're trying to give to you and stuff. It's just really amazing, yeah. Should probably close with prayer, and there's gonna be time afterward to hang out and visit with people. But rather than us praying for you, which I think we can do, I was wondering if you would pray for us as a church. Um, one of the things that God kind of just laid on my heart as we were talking was that we would have a heart that says yes to the Lord this year and whatever He calls us to. So, do you guys pray for us? And you can do that or not. I don't know. Whatever thing you want to pray, both of you. All right, let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for being here. Um, God, thank you for all of the blessings that you've poured out on on this place, on these people, and on the two of us. Um, God, uh, we thank you for Pullman Foursquare and for the heart that they have to serve and to open up their their minds and their hearts to other people and other places. Um, Lord, we thank you for the, the missionaries that we already have. Um, the, the Fontaines who are here and um, um, the Nelsons and everyone who has worked or is working uh, in your name. And Lord, we, we just ask a, a special um, prayer that um, that you would give courage to those who are, are maybe squirming in their seats or people who think maybe this is me, maybe, maybe there's something out there um, that you've got uh, planned out for me. Um, and, and I just want to pray also for just all of us that, God, that you take us deeper into your love and also just that our every day um, as we walk, you would find, um, help us to see places where we can pitch in and lend a hand, um, each of us um, being the, the hands and feet that you want us to be. God, I, I ask that you would that you would would speak to each each of us here and show us the ways and that we we can lay down our rights to show others greater love and the ways that we can 
truly be your lights in this world. Um, God, I, I just ask that you would uh, open our eyes to the things that might be blocking that light to the people around us, that they may know who you are and in truth and, and power. And, and God, that you, you're not just the God for some, but you're the God of all. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, would you just pray for uh, Will and Brianna with us? Uh, do you want to do it? Or do you want me to do it? Or rock, paper, scissor? I'll pray. I always lose. It's true. Scissor, so. Always. Yeah. That's a true always. Father, we come together and we pray for Will and Brianna. Mm-hmm. We bring them before you. Um, we ask that as they move to Tyler, that you would lead them to a church community where they can continue to grow and to love and to know you better. I pray that as they move into their new roles, that you would surround them with friends, um, people who they can live life with, and um, uh, people in their workplace, people in their community. Father, I pray that you would be with Brianna as she's taken on a, a big role, one that she um, sees that she's going to need your, your help and your guidance I pray that you would speak to her. I pray that you would remind her of the story of the loaves. And I pray that you would um, show her that you are enough. I thank you for them. I pray that you would touch Will's body, that his cold would leave him quickly. I pray that their move would be smooth and that they would sense your peace and your guidance. In Jesus' name, powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to take some time in the back. If you want to ask questions, Will and Brianna will be back there. But until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his peace rest upon you as you go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.